It's June 7th. You can come out for that. Uh, we have Vacation Bible School happening, and it's going to be June 24th to the 28th. And it's uh, children four years of age up to the fifth grade, $25 per child. We have a 100-child limit, so sign up right away, and you can do that in the foyer online. All the information's there. We have a family cap- camp coming up August 8th to the 10th, and um, you can take a look at that in your bulletin. We have prayer tonight, um, 5 to six, five to 6.15 here in the sanctuary. We have tonight's service. Zach Schallabarger is going to be teaching what a blessing. I'm, I'm actually turning the entire Sunday night program over to Zach Schallabarger. That kid is on fire. So come on out and encourage him. Um, and the last thing on the announcements is, they don't have this picture for it, but it's uh, tithes and offerings. A tithe means a tenth, and um, we don't pass an offering bag. And uh, if you're not giving a tenth, I, I don't I think you're going to hell. I don't know. I think I've, no, I'm just kidding you. I'm just messing with you. Stop it. No, no. Uh, but don't feel compelled to give if you're visiting. Those of you who are here, and this is your fellowship, you know what to do, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh, I do want to introduce to you um, the new director of our preschool, and I'm so blessed. She's amazing, and I'm going to share in a moment um, what we're up against over at Little Oaks. Some of you saw on the news, and I'll share with you in a minute. But would you welcome with me Kimberly Mack. Stand up, love. No, 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 no. Stand up, stand up, stand up. We're going we're gonna to pray for her right now. Ready? Lord, thank you for Kim. And Lord, her willingness to say, here am I, use me. Lord, she's a servant. She's been through all the, the thickness of this trial that we faced as Little Oak School, and she's in it for the long haul. I pray your grace and your strength and your, your mercy upon her and your blessing and wisdom. Lord, I pray your strength to help her through this process. And Lord, we ask that Little Oaks would be a, a a blessing to your name, that you'd be glorified. And thank you for this woman. Protect her and her family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Kim. All right, now I, I wanted to lead with that because uh, you may, may or may not have read the newspaper. Um, Calvary Chapel Thousand Oaks, or Calvary Chapel Godspeak is what we're known as. We own uh, a preschool and an elementary school called Little Oaks. We purchased it about four years ago uh, from a couple, and it was a secular school. And we wanted to start a Christian school. Um, the way we purchased it is uh, it was wholly owned by the church, but it was a for-profit company. And let me correct that term, for-profit. It is a for-tax company. For-tax company. Okay? The church is a not-for-tax organization. The school is a for-tax organization. Everybody got that? The reason why I want to differentiate is because the ACLU doesn't want the church to be a not-for-tax organization, but if we do a for-tax organization, they still sue us for religious liberty, so it's irrelevant. I thought the 8 o'clock was tough. (laughs) Okay. Anywho, uh, here's where it works. So we filed under a for-tax company, uh, which which was our our preschool and our elementary school. Glad you could make it. I know how to preach a church down to a manageable size. <laughs> and so um, we slowly implemented our, our Christian curriculum because we didn't want to get rid of teachers that had been there for a number of years. But we wanted to let them know that ultimately we're going to be a Christian school. Well, this was the first year that we were implementing fully Christian curriculum. It had been four years. Our teachers were on a year-to-year contract. To re-sign the contract, they needed to sign a statement of faith and they were required to have a pastoral reference. Because we're a Christian school, we want Christian teachers. Let me, let me help you with this in case you're struggling with that and you think it's an insult. 
if we were a French cooking school, we'd want French cooks. Everybody tracking me? For tax, not for tax, irrelevant. We want folks that can teach that which we hold to. We bought the school. They refused to sign the pastoral reference and the statement of faith, and they didn't sign a contract, and they weren't rehired. They sent us a letter wanting $150,000 each for each teacher. There were two of them. Or they're going to sue us under the Fair Employment and Housing Act of California, which is contrary to the First Amendment. And we said no. So we then preempted their lawsuit and sued them to take it into the federal courts. This week, the federal judge, Dolly G., dismissed it and put sanctions on our attorney for $14,000. And it's shocking to me. So we're going to appeal it. Now, let me just say this to you. It's not like you're going to engage the culture and stand for religious liberty and expect them to go, oh, it's all yours. My bad. I'm sorry I got in your way. They're going to fight. And here we are in California, and everybody has, has turned tail and run. Well, one of my favorite passages out of, out of David's mighty men is a man by the name of Shema. And he was told to protect a field of lentils from the Philistines. Now, I don't know if you know about lentils, but they're worthless. And when the Philistines started to come, and they were covered in iron and bronze, and they were strapping soldiers, to say the least... And Israelites were agrarian, they had no weaponry. But Shema stood in that field. Every one of the people with him bailed. More people have left California than came here during the Dust Bowl. But Shema stayed. And he defended that bean patch from the Philistines. The Conejo Valley is my bean patch. No Philistines getting in. You can clap on that one. Now, I mean this when I say I can preach a church down to a manual size. I, I'm not interested in blowing sunshine your way. We are at war, and religious liberty is on the docket. The truth will never be tolerant of a lie, and a lie will never be tolerant of the truth. I, I, I'm, I have no concern over civil liberties and civil unions. But when you come and dictate what I'm allowed to preach from this Bible, when our founding father said that we have certain inalienable rights endowed by our creator... Life, liberty, liberty, that doesn't mean to be able to pursue whatever you want to do. It's to pursue what is right. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is translated virtue. I will do that. Now, they're never going to take away my liberty. They may take away my freedom, but they'll never take away my liberty. And the likelihood is, we may be preaching this in prison. But if you don't exercise these rights, you're going to lose them. Now, you don't understand that, maybe. Maybe you think that a pastor has nothing to do. He shouldn't be involved in politics. He shouldn't be doing this. Why? Well, because there's a separation of church and state. Really? I'm sorry. Where in our founding documents does that exist? Oh, it's a letter from Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Convention. <laughs> oh, you mean the invisible wall of separation? You know what he was saying? It's, it, our founding fathers didn't want to keep the church out of the state. They wanted to keep the state out of the church. Leave me alone! Not only are we going to pursue this lawsuit to its full extent to protect our religious liberties, we started a Boy Scout troop, Troop 711, and a Cub Scout troop, Troop 3711. 
and we're going to tell the Boy Scouts of America we are not going to adhere to your policy. We didn't sign up for sexuality classes. We're going to stay in the Boy Scouts. You want to kick us out, that's your deal. But we're not moving. We are a charter organization. We signed up for that. We have religious liberties. They will not impose that upon this fellowship. These are rights. And until we start exercising, we're going to lose them. And if you're not educated, you're in trouble. And so this is civic discipleship. You think, where in the Bible do you have the right to do that? Well, quite simply, one of my favorite passages, we just finished the epistle last week. Epistle, what's that? It means letter. It's called the epistle to the Galatians. The apostle Paul wrote it. He wrote it to the churches in the region of Galatia, which is now today modern-day Turkey, which I was hoping they would maybe even adhere to it now to help that region quite a bit. But the apostle Paul was speaking to these new converts to Christianity because these folks came in to steal their liberty. Yeah, the word liberty was used in the original Greek, liberty. They came in to steal their liberty. Liberty, yeah. You see, the passage reads out of Galatians chapter 5. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again to the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You see, the point is this. Paul had preached salvation by grace. It was never experienced in the history of the world. You see, Christianity is separated from every religion in the world by one simple principle. Every religion in the world, save but for Christianity, every religion in the world, save but for Christianity, tries to get to God by good works. You see, the word religion is a Latin word, relongari, that means to relink, reconnect with God. We're all separated from him. How are we separated? Well, the Bible says that there are none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And some of the folks in the room are going, oh, sin, bring that up. Relax. Must I offend you with such a simple word? Sin is an archer's term. There's the bullseye. Where your arrow lands and where the bullseye is, is called the sin distance. How far the arrow has fallen from perfection. So let's restate it. Is there anyone in the room who's perfect? Raise your hand so we can mock you. Okay, so now again, there are none righteous, no, not one. So how do you reconcile to a righteous God who is without sin, who's perfect? When we're the only creatures in all of his creation who have commit, committed cosmic treason, rebellion. We're the only ones who created with the ability to love. Well, every religion in the world is trying to appease God by good works. Don't drink, smoke, chew, or hang around with those who do. Right? Did you not get that? I thought that was funnier. <laughs> And so you try to make God happy with you. But here's the problem. You'll never be able to accomplish it. Are you kidding me? What is this? Uh, Tony, go get, uh, get, where's the guy? Fix this. New kid, it's his phone. He left it on. It's killing me. He's probably calling, trying to find out where it is. He should be in service. 
All right. Don't mind my man behind the curtain. We're, we're good. Let's just, just take the whole bag out. That's good. Just take the bag out. There you go. And fire him. All right. Yeah, I was saying, let me get to that. So the point is this. Every religion in the world is man trying to get to God by good works. Christianity is different. It's God coming to, the man, to man in the form of a savior. And, and, and he left the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross. To die in your place and my place. To pay the penalty for our failure, our sin. And you say, I haven't sinned. Okay, stop. Is there anyone in the room who wants us to show a videotape of what you think in secret? You, you know you're foul. Don't look at me like you're deer caught in headlights. You know. <laughs> and those things you want to do, you don't do. And those things you don't want to do, those you do. You're in bondage. And along comes the Lord. He says, I've come that you might know the truth and the truth will set you free. That you'd know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus said this, and this is what C.S. Lewis called the trilemma. Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say I'm a way. I always say there's many ways to God, but only one way to heaven. The Bible says it's appointed once for man to die, then judgment. You'll stand before God and give an accounting of your life, but there's only one way to heaven. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. So this is what C.S. Lewis said. It's a trilemma. You can't call Jesus a good man and not call him God. He can only be one of three things. A liar because he said he was the only way and he knew he wasn't. A lunatic, because he thought he was the only way, but he isn't, or he's Lord. And Western society has embraced him as Lord and the world has been transformed ever since the Beatitudes and this concept of freedom to be set free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So when the Apostle Paul came into the, to the Hebrew world who were bound by all the laws and regulations, and they had this freedom in Christ that all things were permissible, but not all things were profitable. That Christ had fulfilled the law, and they were observing the law, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. That was a powerful picture. And then in, in that freedom, they called these Judaizers. They came in, they said, oh, you know, Christianity's only good if you're circumcised. Wait, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, yeah, you see, you're only right with God if you're circumcised. <laughs> you mean there? <laughs> I quit. <laughs> and, and also there's dietary restrictions. <laughs> like what? No bacon. <laughs> no. No. Bacon is a perfect food. It's meat candy, right? An animal, a, a pig, there's no equal. It eats an apple, turns it into bacon. That's amazing. <laughs> a religion with no bacon, are you kidding me? But Jesus made it all better. He says, I took care of the law. There's freedom, liberty in Christ. I've given you by my spirit the ability to do what's right. Uh, you're already right with me because I paid the penalty, but out of love, you get to do what's right. Because you want to, not because you have to. I don't go home every night to my wife because I wear a wedding ring. 
or I said some words in front of a minister. I go home every night to my wife because I love her. Now we have a relationship of love with the Savior. And so with that picture, the scripture says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. You see, we think that more laws are going to make us more righteous. No, they won't. Laws never made anyone righteous. If laws make somebody righteous, the most righteous people in the world are the ones that the law tells them when they're supposed to wake up, when they're supposed to go to bed, what they wear, uh, where they sleep. It's called prison. That doesn't work. You may be more moral than me. Good for you. But you're going to stand before God. And you're going to go, yeah, I heard that, Pastor. What an irritator. I'm so much more moral than him, God. God will go, who isn't? (laughs) But he'll say to you, unfortunately, Rob McCoy's not the standard. I am, meaning the Lord. The God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand. You know, the one you're angry with that you shake your fist at because you demand answers? Be careful. The thickness of this paper represents a distance between the earth and the sun. 93 million miles. To get to the edge of the known universe, all you got to do is stack the paper meaning each thickness is 93 million miles, just stack the paper 31 million miles high. And he holds that in the span of his hand. Oh, I'm sorry, and you're upset with him? He owes you some answers? Do you know what you look like to him with your fist? I am angry. We just come down to the Milky Way galaxy, come down to our solar system, Come down there to Earth. There's North America. And then there's the United States. There's California. There's a Ventura County. Conejo Valley. Newberry Park. I'm sitting in the seat. I'm angry at you, God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. A politician will not be our savior. The Lord will be. But that being said, God uses man. And one of my favorite of our statesman, Thomas Jefferson, said, freedom is having choices. So if you make $1,000 a week, and you go into a Walmart, you can pretty much buy anything in the Walmart for a thousand bucks, right? So you have 100% freedom, 100% choices. But there's only two people who can take from you. One is the government, and the other is a robber. Same thing. <laughs> Sorry, Senator. Actually, he's in agreement. But the point is this, the government takes 25% of your income, they take 25% of your choices, that's 25% of your freedom. Less choices, less freedom. They take 50%, you have 50% less freedom, 50% less choices. They take 100%, that's called slavery. Winston Churchill said, 
War is awful, but slavery is worse. The government serves me. I don't serve the government. Their power is on loan. And the thing that blesses me is the first time in a long time I've had the joy to meet a man. I spent 10 days with him in Israel, and the message matched the man, and the man matched the message, as did his family. When I heard the principles of freedom, I heard the principles of liberty espoused from deep thought and wisdom to navigate water so well, especially in Israel. It was a man of wisdom. For the first time in a long time, I met a politician who, in my estimation, is a real deal. His heart rings true with liberty and freedom. It's my privilege and my honor to introduce to you Senator Rand Paul. Thank you. Well, you know, I felt, I felt like I was a really important person until he got to that speck in the universe part. <laughs> I don't feel nearly as important as I used to feel. In the Senate, we actually have a prayer every day. You can't have it in your public school, but we have someone you actually employ. We have a Senate chaplain. He gives a Christian prayer in the, in the front of the Senate, and they have a chaplain for the House every day. We have a lot of... Uh, I think, uh, contradictions going on in our country. We've sort of forgotten, you know, what we were founded upon and people are reinterpreting what it actually means. There was a um, chaplain back around the turn of the 19th century, from the 19th to the 20th century. His name was Edwin Hale, and he was a famous writer at the time. And uh, he was asked, do you uh, pray for the senators? And he said, well, you know, I've met the senators, and frankly, I pray for the people. (laughs) When I was first elected, um, one of the other senators called me and he said, you know, the first six months you'll pinch yourself and you'll say, how did I get here with all these really important people? And then he said, the next six months you'll pinch yourself and say, how the heck did the rest of these guys get here? (laughs) There is no monopoly of knowledge up there. There are some smart people. There are some well-intentioned people. There are some not-so-smart people and some not-so-well-intentioned people there as well. But there are a lot of people out in the country that could do the job equally as well. You know, people said, when I ran, you're just a doctor from a small town. Who are you to think you could be a senator? Well, I think in some ways we'd be better off having a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, a, a mother, a teacher, new people. I think turnover in office would help us quite a bit. And that's really popular among the people, but guess what? It's very unpopular in Washington. We have a bill to change the Constitution to have term limits. Um, You know, I'd say about 12 years in the House, 12 years in the Senate would be plenty for anybody. And uh, I think we have five co-sponsors on the bill, so we're we're not making a lot of progress. But if you ask the people, 75 to 80 percent of the people think we ought to have term limits. I think you have it in your California State Assembly. Most governors have it. The president has it. Why wouldn't it be a good idea for Congress to have it? Now, I met uh, Pastor Rob and Michelle when we went to, and several others here who went on the trip with us to Israel. And we had a a great time. My wife, Kelly, and uh, two of my boys got to go on the trip. 
But it was sort of one of those things, uh, in some ways it reminded me of being at church camp because we were on a big bus, we were singing songs and hymns, and when I was a kid, the bus always broke down. So one of the, the main things I remember about church camp growing up was Stuckies. Do you all have Stuckies out here? We spent more hours in the Stuckies trying to call someone to fix the bus. That's, that's my biggest memory of it. But, you know, I love the camaraderie and being together with people. But uh, we, we went on this tour, and David Lane, do you all know David Lane? Is that, is that okay to mention his name? Is David organized the trip and got everybody together, and it takes a big deal to organize and get all these people to Israel and around Israel. So uh, we got there, and it was, you know, cold, rain, hail, snow, you name it. I thought we were in the Mediterranean, it was snowing. So anyway, the road got flooded out, so our bus didn't break down, but the roads flooded out. It takes us uh, maybe six hours to get from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee, which is normally two hours. We had to turn around and go all the way back almost to Jerusalem to get there. Then we go around another road, and there's a rock slide. And on the front of the bus, it says David Lane Tour, and so we took a big pen and marked it out and said, no, the plague tour. (laughs) We never did get to Locust, but... uh, We did get to the Sea of Galilee, and we were all a little punchy by the time we got there. And as you drive into it, it's beautiful. You know, down around Jerusalem and below, it's more like a desert and very arid. And you get to Sea of Galilee, and it's just completely plush and green and just this amazing, like a sea. It's a lake, but like a sea. And I knew the Dead Sea was below the sea level, but Sea of Galilee is 500 feet below too, but has mountains that rise up 9,000 feet all around it, and it's just so green and lush. And we were all kind of punching. I told them, put guns and roses on. And I wanted to hear knocking on heaven's door as we went into the Sea of Galilee. And um, we went down to the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum where Jesus probably lived and, and taught. We got on an old rickety wooden boat. And I was hoping it was better than Jesus's boat because like Pastor Rob said, I try to be a good person, but I didn't think I was righteous enough to walk on the water. So we're on this boat, we go out, and the weather's kind of mixed, clouds, rain, stops rain, sun, clouds again. We get on, and big storm comes up. Has anybody ever read in the New Testament where storms popping up out of nowhere? That was it. So that part I know is true from the New Testament, because it happened to me too. And so we're out there, and the boat is tipped sideways, and literally hail and sleet are coming down. We get about halfway across the Sea of Galilee, and it starts to clear up. We get to the other side, you can still see the storm in a straight line halfway across the Sea of Galilee, and then we see this big, huge, double, complete double rainbow, and it was just spectacular. And I think it was really a symbol of of sort of of renewal and discovering. People are always saying, you go to Israel, did you you come back transformed? Did you learn about Middle East? Did you learn about Israel? And I did learn all of those things, and I think I gained insight. But I think I gained insight more about myself and my family and my faith than I did some sort of political insight. We try with a political insight. I am interested in trying to figure out how we have, have peace. Peace should always be our goal, trying to figure out how we avoid another war in the Middle East. We've had so many. And I came back, you know, not really knowing that I discovered that. I, I look at things analytically. I'm a physician. I think you, you have a symptom you can't see. I try to figure out how you can't see. If it's a cataract, we remove it and you see again. It's, I, 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 send, I, I tend to think mechanically and methodically. And as I looked at the Middle East, there are some uh, maybe imponderables, there are some things that maybe we can't overcome, but doesn't mean that there isn't a direction towards peace. 
Some of it with all these big treaties may not come. Because really, I ask everybody. I was in the Palestinian territory, and I asked Mahmoud Abbas. I asked Netanyahu. I asked President Perez. I asked the King of Jordan. Can you negotiate with just one entity, the West Bank? Or does it have to be the West Bank and Hamas or the uh, Gaza Strip together? Does that have to be one big negotiation? Everybody says it has to be one. And I said, well, if it has to be, and nobody thinks they can negotiate with Hamas because they're lobbing missiles into Israel, how are you going to have any kind of peace talks or treaty at all? I got no answer. So I scratch my head and say, well, maybe you should negotiate independently. And if Hamas is not ready or you're not ready to talk to Hamas, maybe you talk to the West Bank and have a separate peace. I also got the feeling that maybe there isn't some sort of grand scheme that all of a sudden it's done and it's over. This is, you know, a thousand year, two thousand year conflict. But that maybe part of it's incremental. Part of it's increasing trade with the Palestinians, increasing prosperity for the Palestinians. We didn't stop in Jericho because uh, it was in the West Bank. We actually didn't stop in Bethlehem. Now, I think a lot of people still do, but uh, our tour guide, we would have to change drivers. She didn't feel like she was insured to go in to Bethlehem and that there was some danger. And that's pretty sad that we can't go to the birthplace of Christ. But... uh, I think there are ways of getting incremental change. And really some of that's going to come maybe on Israel's side, that they decide these are things we can do to make things better that aren't necessarily figuring out the final solution of where borders are in this, but trade, prosperity, ways to make people, people who trade are less likely to fight, frankly. And so I think enhancing that and enhancing things between the, between the uh, borders of Israel and the different territories might be a benefit. So we're in Israel, and we're having a great time, and it's church camp, and, you know, it's just wonderful, and there's spectacular moments, and we're at the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, we're in there, and it, this is one of those moments that sticks with me the most, is uh, Pastor Dale Perkins, who's friends with David, came along the trip, and he's got like 11 kids. They weren't all with us, but he's a big singer, so, and that's what made it even better. We had like 10 or 11 ministers on the bus, pastors on the bus, and ones who could sing. Pastor Rob wasn't the one who could sing, but... Uh, <laughs> But Dale Perkins could, and so we're at the Garden of Gethsemane, he's got this great voice, and we sang How Great Thou Art, and just what a spectacular, I could even tell y'all were singing more when it came up. It's a spectacular song, and you can just really feel the emotion, and I told several folks from the trip when I got home, I was dreaming that song, I mean, it really stuck with me. And uh, so we have these, this, this great moment, and you know, everybody's feeling it, and all of a sudden, I, I walk over, and I reach in my pocket, and I find an egg. Somebody stuck an egg in my pocket. So I'm looking around, and I see this Cheshire smile, this Cheshire cat smile over here, and I think, I'll bet you Pastor Rob had something to do with this. So I came all the way back here to California because I'm returning this egg. I don't know if it came from Pastor Rob, but I'm returning it to Pastor Rob. <laughs> Pastor Rob mentioned something about the goings-on with your school, and I commend you for fighting the fight. This is a fight about religious freedom and rights, and it should be fought whether you lose initially or not. And there are a few federal judges from California that aren't your friends on this. It should be fought until we go all the way to the top. The only thing I forgot to mention to Pastor Rob, there's a group called Institute for Justice that likes some of these fights, and you might see if they'll get involved with it as well. There are other similar battles going on. And the other side wants to make this about, you know, birth control or this and that. It's about religious freedom. We keep it about religious freedom. It's not about 
birth control. And we get beyond that, but it's an important concept. Because the thing is, is if I own a business, and I'm not associated with a church at all, but I'm just a believer and I own my business, and I don't want to have insurance for abortion, for goodness sakes, how could someone make me have insurance that provides for something that I find to be immoral? I don't know how you can make someone do that. We need to fight this fight. Hobby Lobby. Do you have Hobby Lobby out here? Shop at Hobby Lobby. They're a good. They're a good. They're a good family. Uh oh, you a competitor of Hobby Lobby? No, we don't have it out here. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, but Hobby Lobby is uh, owned by an evangelical Christian family. They're fighting the good fight on this. They're putting millions of dollars into a court case, and their lawyer put it very succinctly. He says, "To to stay in business, they're asking us to give up on our faith." Or they're asking us to give up on our business to stay true to our faith. And that just isn't the American way. So we fight for this. Pastor Rob's exactly right. This is about your liberty. When you think about the First Amendment, read the beginning of it. It says Congress shall pass no law. It's a restraint of Congress, not of the people. And I tell this to kids all the time when they come to Washington. I try to get them to remember two things. We're a republic, not a democracy. And that majority rules what gave you Jim Crow. Majority rules what gave you institutionalized discrimination. Majority rule doesn't recognize that you have rights that came from your creator that are protected by the Constitution, but they're yours and they pre-exist government. So when we talk about the First Amendment, Pastor Rob's exactly right. It's not about keeping religious people out of government. It's about keeping government out of religion. And it's important that you know this and continue this fight because there may come a day when you say that you believe something is wrong, that you believe something is a sin, that you believe the Bible says we shouldn't do this, and the government says that's a hate crime. So beware of that. Beware also when people say that, oh, you're getting a subsidy, you're getting a taxpayer subsidy. Because you have a tax-exempt status, that's a subsidy. Beware of the word. The word's been out there now for 20 years, and they call a deduction, which is you giving money to your church and being able to deduct it, a subsidy. It's your money. It's not the government's money. You're getting to keep more of your money with a deduction. It's not something anyone gave to you. You worked for it. It was your money. You give it to your church. Your church is tax-exempt. But tax-exempt status should not prevent you from speaking out. And it will take fights, and there eventually may be targeting. Right now, there's targeting of different political groups. I think they're losing that battle, because I don't care which political party you're in. Nobody wants, when you lose the election and your other guy wins, to come after you personally because of your political beliefs or your, your party affiliation. So I think it is something that we all, it repels all of us, no matter where we come from. As we move forward, though, these are fights that have to occur. And they they will take standing up. There have been people throughout history, and I'm not saying to be a civil disobedient, but there are people who we should laud and glorify who were civil disobedients. Martin Luther King was one. Henry David Thoreau was one. Henry David Thoreau refused to pay one dollar, not because he couldn't find the dollar, although the dollar was worth more back then. But he wouldn't pay one dollar because he didn't believe in, in the war with Mexico but he also didn't believe in the fugitive slave law. Slaves would fight tooth and nail to be free of their masters and get out of bondage and go to the north. 
And then we had a federal law that actually said you had to send them back if they were caught. And the slave masters came looking for them. So you wouldn't pay $1 to support that. There are things we need to resist. Will there be a time when you have to have civil disobedience? Maybe. I'm still thinking we do it through the political process. We do it through registering and voting and fighting cases like religious freedom cases. So we do keep fighting. My wife uh, told me this quote recently, and it uh, made an impression on me. It's from Michelangelo. And Michelangelo says, I saw the angel in the marble, and I carved until I set him free. My take on that is, is sort of that we all have an angel inside us. And you can call it a different name. You can call it the Holy Spirit. You can call it a need or a desire to communicate with something bigger than we are. And I think that that's something that some people it's easy, some people it's not so easy. But I think it's something, for some people, it's a lifelong struggle. It's not just about acting good. It's about finding God. And how we do that, how we, how we find it in our own personal way is different for everybody. I think of the quote from Dostoevsky who said, I did not come to my Hosanna through childlike faith. I came to my Hosanna through a fiery furnace of doubt. For some people, it is that way. You may know people in your family who still haven't gotten there yet. Some people struggle more than others. But what I would say is that there is an angel inside. There is a spirit. There is something. There is a yearning. But there's something there talking back to you if you can understand. And it's more important than political figures. There's something wrong. There's something really going wrong in our country. We've been going the wrong direction. Even outside of government and debts and deficits and economic growth and all of that, there is a certain moral depravity that we're headed towards. It is something that I, <laughs> I think of my wife. We came back, and this is men in a humorous vein. She, we met a lot of Orthodox Jews, and they were very good people. But the, the thing I say in humor is she says she wants to convert. She says they, they turn the lights off and the electricity on Friday, and they look have low-level candles. The kids don't watch any TV at all. I'm not sure we're strong enough to actually do that. But some of us need to be. We need to turn off the TV. We need to uh, monitor what's going on in our lives and try to send our kids in a different direction. There's something laws can't do. You know, One of the biggest drivers of poverty in our country is uh, kids and no fathers, you know, and does it make you an awful person if you had your kids before you were married? No. But we should try to encourage people, our kids, to try to wait. Because if we wait, that's, that's the biggest cause of poverty in our country. It's the best way is to wait. If you didn't wait, doesn't make you necessarily a bad person. Try to get married, though, before you have more kids. Because the whole thing is, I can't pass a law. I can't make you a better person. I can't find your personal salvation. All of that's outside of government and more important. But when people like me argue for liberty or for freedom, it's also not that we're arguing for a libertine society. We want you to be free, but freedom requires a moral people. It requires a virtuous people. David gave me a book by Oz Guinness that I like uh, called A Free People's Suicide. And in that, he talks about that the only restraint that's consistent with freedom is self-restraint. Most of you don't go out and commit crimes because there's a law. You don't stay married because you're legally married. You, you've made these decisions on your own. It's not an argument against having any laws or against the necessity of having laws, but really, ultimately, it's an argument that there's something inside us that needs to be set free. I think we'll find that when we see the angel in the marble and set him free. Thank you. Thanks.
I love that quote. And, uh, you know, theologically speaking, it's, it's similar to what Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, said that every man is created with a God-shaped void. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans that we've been created subject to vanity. The basic idea is we all have a God-shaped void. And nothing in all creation will satisfy us but a relationship with God to relink, reconnect. And let not government get in the way of us reconnecting with God. They can say he doesn't exist, but that's stupidity. Because the Bible says any man who says there's no God is a fool. That's like saying gravity doesn't exist. Well, I don't care if you believe it or you don't believe it. Gravity doesn't care either. And you can, you can say till you're blue in the face, God doesn't exist. But that's like saying gravity doesn't exist. This is an absolute. We're governed by absolutes. John Locke talked about natural law. Well, I don't believe in absolutes. Oh, oh do you believe that absolutely? <laughs> Quit shelving your brain. Worship the Lord. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord, and let's get back and see revival and watch this nation revived once again. Amen? <clears throat> Come on up. I want to thank you all for coming. We're going to close with a song of worship. Um, and uh, I just want to let you know, Senator Paul's probably going to go back and relax a little bit. His voice is getting hoarse, and I know some of you probably want to come and shake his hand and maybe hand him a manifesto or something. I don't know. But I do want to say this. Uh, I'm blessed you're here. I know there's a lot of visitors. And uh, if you want to keep track of what we're doing in regards to these lawsuits, stay with us. This is worth fighting for. And I'm just so thankful that you joined us today. So let's stand and close with a song of praise.